The Old Testament reading for this, the third Sunday in Lent, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes from the book of Exodus, the 17th chapter. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of Sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt, to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and taking your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? And this is the word of the Lord. O oh, come, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Epistle reading comes from Paul's letter to the church in Rome, the fifth chapter. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. And character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the word of the Lord. We rise for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel comes to us according to St. John, the fourth chapter. Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, 
you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, well enough to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes... He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever been thirsty? Like, really, really thirsty? Not just ooh, this ham is really good and I've had a couple portions and could use a refill on my drink, kind of thirsty. Not even, I just finished stacking bales and an ice-cold Coke sounds fantastic, thirsty. I'm talking about stranded on a desert island, baking in the sun, haven't had a drink or even felt moisture for a couple of days, kind of thirsty. Thankfully, I never have. And I'm guessing that you probably haven't either. But thirst, it's maddening. All those survival shows, they point out that you can go a fair while without food. You can kind of ignore the hunger for several days. But thirst, it just won't go away. It consumes you. It becomes all that you can think about. It makes you do and say things that you wouldn't normally do. And that's the situation that we find the Israelites in in our text today. They're in the desert. They're traveling on foot. They're tired. They're scared. They're uncertain of where they're going. And they're thirsty. They don't have any water. And it's getting to them. A lot. And so we hear them doing what they did so often in the wilderness. They are grumbling. They're complaining to Moses. They are accusing God. And they are asking among themselves, is the Lord among us or not? I mean, it seems kind of like a legitimate question, doesn't it? 
God promised to be with them, to provide for them, to give them all that they need for this long journey. And so to find themselves so parched, so very, very thirsty, it kind of seems like God may have forgotten about them, may have abandoned them completely. And of course, it's not just the Israelites. It's us, too. We may not be wandering in the desert. We may not have just left behind generations of slavery. We may not identify a whole lot with what the Israelites were going through. And yet, so often, we find ourselves asking that same exact question in our own lives. Is God still there? Has God abandoned us or forgotten about us? Is the Lord among us or not? We look around at this world, and we see all the terrible things out there. When we experience all the terrible things in our own lives, we wonder sometimes if God is truly with us. The Israelites were out there in the desert without water, looking at a long, long journey. It was scary. It was uncertain. It seemed impossible. We today look at our lives. We feel the political pressure of the godless. We see acts of terror and large-scale violence. We suffer sickness and pain and heartache and desperation. We don't see any end in sight for us either. And so for us too, it's scary. It's uncertain. It seems impossible that we could finish this journey. As Christians, especially Christians living in such a wealthy culture, we have this notion that if God truly is with us, Everything's going to be hunky-dory. And plenty of televangelists and big-name pastors, they push that idea that if you are truly a Christian, everything's going to come up roses. If your faith is strong enough, and if you send the right amount of money to this address, God will be with you and will give you your heart's desire. Smooth sailing with no problems for all the Christians out there. No discomfort at all is what we think God has promised us. But when we actually read the Bible, when we actually look at the entirety of history, we realize that's not at all what God promised, is it? How many of the prophets had problem-free lives as they spoke the word of the Lord? How many of the apostles just kind of skated through life rich and happy and comfortable, being welcomed everywhere that they went and everybody handed them a sandwich? None of them. Not one of them. Because the world despises the word of the Lord. So why should we expect better for ourselves? And yet, we do. We think that God needs to clap his hands and wipe out all our enemies the moment that we start to feel a little bit of pressure. We think we shouldn't need to have endurance or character or hope because there shouldn't be any suffering for us in the first place. When things don't go the way that we think they should, we do what the Israelites did. We grumble. We quarrel. We accuse God. The Israelites grumble to Moses, God's appointed leader, and they ask if maybe God led them out into the desert as a sick joke in order to abandon them and let them die out there of thirst. We ask the same question, accusing God of not caring about what happens to this world, 
Assuming that he has left us because things are so bad, thinking maybe he's not even guiding our congregation any longer. If God were really with us, why would there still be so much war and hatred and violence in this world? If God hasn't abandoned us, then why is the media and even our own government constantly stomping all over Christianity? If God is truly among us, why does half our congregation not even bother to show up on any given Sunday? Is the Lord among us or not? It's a question the Israelites ask constantly during their wandering in the wilderness, and it's a question that we ourselves ask constantly throughout our journey through this world of sin and death and darkness. Is the Lord among us or not? But do you really think that God would abandon you? Have you ever made one of those dream purchases? Something that you drooled over for years. Something that you saved up for and budgeted for and made sacrifices for so that one day, someday, you could own that special thing. Maybe it was a fancy car. Maybe it was a dream vacation or a plot of land. Maybe it was an original, still-in-the-box 1985 Dinobot swoop transformer with the wings intact, sticker sheet untouched, all the accessories and weapons that get lost so easily and sell for so much on eBay, still attached to the sprue, and they're with it. Maybe. What did you do when you finally got it? Did you kind of chuck it in the closet, let it get buried under a pile of clothes and shoes? Did you loan it out to strangers, leave it sitting out when it was about to rain? Of course not. That thing is precious to you. You paid a lot for it. You gave up a lot for it. It's what you've been dreaming about having for so long. You treat it with extreme care. You baby it. You do whatever it takes to preserve it and keep it wonderful. You don't let it out of your sight, and you don't let anyone other than you mess with it. Do you realize that that's what you are to God? You are his treasured possession. You are the thing that he literally gave up everything so that he could have. You are the thing that he has coveted from before the creation of the world. The thing that he literally was dying to have. Do you think he's going to forget about you? Do you think he's going to walk away from you, leave you alone, abandon you? Not a chance. Even when we don't see it, even when we don't recognize it, God is always among us. He is with us, present and active in each and every one of our lives. When we look at the context of the Israelites, their question, is the Lord among us or not, it actually seems kind of silly. Consider the fact that it's only been about three months since they left Egypt, miraculously crossing through the Red Sea on dry land with towers of water on either side of them as Pharaoh's army was drowned. They've seen it with their own eyes not that long ago. They've just recently left Egypt after God performed plagues of immense power. And God is right now daily providing each of them with manna and quail. 
They had probably just gathered it that morning as they grumbled. Is the Lord even among us? By the way, hand me more of that miracle bread, please. It seems ridiculous. And we might laugh at them for forgetting God so quickly. But we're no better. We ourselves see God's hand of miracles providing every single day. And we forget about it. We live in an age where God has provided miracles that the Israelites would have marveled at, and we just take them for granted and want them to be better. Medical marvels, diseases that used to wipe out entire towns are nothing to us any longer. Communication and travel. We can speak with people on the opposite side of the world and send them funny cat pictures in an instant. Opportunities to work to learn, to change ourselves and our situations that generations before us never even thought were possible. And we live lives of genuine luxury, despite our grumbling and our complaining that it's not enough. Every one of these is a gift from God's hand that we don't deserve, and yet he pours it out into our lives so richly and freely, so much And we take it for granted and assume, well, that's not a miracle. That's just what he does. And amid all the hatred and the opposition, God's word is still miraculously changing lives each and every day. Not just in the far-flung dark corners of the world where we think they've never heard the word of the Lord before and now he's getting there. Although certainly that is happening too. But in our own backyards, as God brings sinners to Christian faith and snatches them out of the fires of hell. And despite our grumbling, despite our disbelief, God always provides. Sometimes in ways that we may not perceive as being provided for at all. Maybe persecution is exactly what the church needs to strengthen itself and to wake us up from our spiritual slumber and laziness. For generations, we've been coasting through life going, well, yeah, everybody's a Christian. Everybody goes to church. Why should I have to care about it or put any effort in? Maybe the terrible things that are happening right now are preventing something far worse down the road. Maybe the things that are happening now are to strengthen us and build us up for the challenges that are to come that are even harder. God provides in ways that we may never recognize. Sometimes God is among us, providing in very ordinary ways. Here in this service, even though we take it for granted, and maybe we just see it as 45 minutes, hopefully less, that we have to sit through each week, God speaks to us his blessed words of forgiveness and life and salvation. At this font, through plain old water, God washes washes away the sins of infants, of children, of adults, of each and every one of us for all eternity. At this altar, in ordinary bread and wine, we are given the very body and blood of Jesus Christ that died on the cross for us, that rose again from the grave for us, that has rescued us from sin and hell. And every day of our lives, we eat, we have clothes, we have shelter. We drive cars, we wake up, we play Fortnite, we enjoy amazing ham dinners. Everything that we do, everything that we have, it is a gift from God. 
as His merciful hand of grace provides for us through the ordinary means of this world that He has established and preserved. And sometimes, God even provides for us in miraculous ways. For the Israelites... He provided water that came gushing out of a rock in the middle of the desert so that they could drink and be satisfied and live. For us, maybe what we see as an impossible situation will just suddenly turn around and fix itself completely. Not by coincidence, not by accident, but by God's hand of miracles. A sickness may completely disappear. It happens a lot A moral or political battle that we thought was lost in our nation may suddenly be swayed to the side of righteousness by the most unlikely person. A friend or a relative on whom we had completely given up on them ever coming to faith in Jesus Christ may ask us to pray with them. And of course, even if these things don't happen for us, God is still among us. He still cares for us. And he has still provided the greatest, most unlikely, most unexpected, most undeserved miracle of all just for you. The ultimate miracle, the ultimate proof that the Lord is indeed with us is the miracle of the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. Is the Lord among us or not? It's a question that we ask ourselves so often when we see all the pain and the suffering in our lives. It's a question that we ask far too often because we give up, we grumble, we have wrong expectations of God. But then we hear his word. We look to his promises. We see all the good and wonderful things that we have in our lives from him. And we realize it's a silly question. Is the Lord among us? Absolutely he is. And we know it. Not just because of the wealth and luxury and ease that you may or may not recognize in your life. Not just because you get a warm feeling of comfort when you think about God being with you. God is among us because he has promised that he will always be among us. God is with you because you are his treasured creation, his prized possession. God is among us and he will never leave you or forsake you. Because he has suffered and died for you. He has given everything to be with you. And by his cross alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins. And eternal life in heaven is yours. Thanks be to God. Amen.